It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 405 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Sony Coming In Hot. It is April 7, 2023, and this is Jen. I've got a bunch of stuff for you, as always. I'm going to start with an article that's actually on Yahoo News, but it's from Engadget, and it's titled... NLRB says Activision Blizzard illegally surveilled employees during a walkout. If found merit in the unfair labor practice charges filed by the, or it found, it found merit in the unfair labor practice charges filed by the Communication Workers of America. So here, this one's written by Morella Moon, a contributing reporter for Engadget. Activision Blizzard is facing yet another complaint by the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB. The labor agency has, quote, found merit with several elements of the unfair labor practice charges filed by the Communication Workers of America, CWA, end quote, on behalf of the company's workers, the union has told Engadget. This particular case pertains to the CWA's accusation that the game developer illegally surveilled workers when they walked out in July last year to protest the lack of gender equality in the company the overturning of Roe v. Wade, as well as Activision Blizzard's alleged union-busting practices. The NLRB decided after an investigation that the company broke labor laws by using managers and security staff to monitor workers during the walkout. In addition, the labor board found merit in the CWA's accusation that the developer threatened to cut off workers' access to an internal chat room where they discussed their pay, hours, and overall working conditions. As IGN notes, though, NLRB has dismissed one charge regarding the company cutting off people's chat access to an all-hands meeting. The publication says Activision Blizzard's chief administrative officer, Brian Bulato, has informed workers that chat was shut down for future all-hands because that particular meeting turned toxic. Attendees used it as a chance to, quote, disparage the work of the Diablo immortal team and others, he explained. I can't confirm that, but this guy seems to think that happened. An NLRB spokesperson told Reuters that it will move forward and prosecute Blizzard if the company doesn't settle. An Activision Blizzard spokesperson told Engadget. And again, every time you see an Activision Blizzard spokesperson with no name, I assume it's coming from Bobby Kotek. I don't know this for sure, but why wouldn't there be a name here? Does your, does, are you running through so many spokespeople that you just don't even bother naming them now. I mean, what's up here, right? It just seems kind of sketchy to me. But this is what the spokesperson told Engadget. Quote, 
We take protecting our people from toxic workplace behavior very seriously. We appreciate that the NLRB has withdrawn one of these allegations, and we're confident the steps we took to protect our people from a toxic workplace were the right ones. CWA wants us to accept the other false claims, but we strongly believe employees shouldn't have to be subjected to insults and put-downs for their hard work, especially on company communication platforms. Okay, okay, okay. Now, if it was really true that people were, you know, disparaging the Diablo Immortal team, that's the one that's on, you know, tablets and phones. And I think it's on PC, but I'm not sure if that, I, I haven't, I don't have a PC, so I can't tell you how that works on a PC, but uh, it works pretty good on a, on a tablet. If that's the thing that they want everyone to focus on, oh, people were being mean, well, we can't have that, we'll just silence them forever instead, you know, that kind of thing. It seems like they're kind of missing the point. I mean, part of this was that people were being surveilled by the company and by the, um, like, you know, I, the part I read earlier. That's the thing. Whether or not people were, you know, unhappy with Diablo Immortal does not override those other things of being surveilled by your company, in my opinion. Uh, it goes on from here uh, with some of the older stuff that we already knew about with like the frat culture and things like that. So I'll just move on. Code CWA tweeted this. If Activision Blizzard and they're tagging the it's a bunch of letters stuck together, but it's Activision Blizzard's Twitter account that they're naming. So if Activision Blizzard was serious about, quote, protecting our people from toxic work behavior, end quote, they would stop intimidating and threatening organized workers. And if they don't, the NLRB will continue to investigate and find them guilty of breaking labor law, which is what they appear to have done. IGN has an article, NLRB to file complaint against Activision Blizzard in illegal surveillance case. That's the thing. It's not whether or not the majority of your workers enjoy playing Diablo Immortal. It's about illegal surveillance. That's what this is. And that's why I think they're not adding names, that Activision Blizzard is not adding names to the spokesperson. Because, you know, I mean, it's just like you can't surveil employees because they did a walkout for legitimate reasons that is legitimately protected they can do that as long as they're peaceful and try to make it about oh well they were picking on the Diablo Immortal team I mean that's just uh, it's a redirection it's misinformation they may have had people that weren't happy about Diablo Immortal but that doesn't mean they shouldn't have also talked about why they decided to surveil people because that part's probably illegal. So anyway, uh, so IGN has uh, three charges from the NLRB and I'll read you a little bit of this article. The charge of surveillance goes back to July 21, 2022, when employees staged a walkout in protest of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, demanding protections from a growing strain of anti-abortion laws in the U.S., as well as labor neutrality commitment from Activision Blizzard amid growing unionization efforts and repeated reports of company union busting. The CWA alleges in its filing that Activision Blizzard illegally surveilled employees, quote, through managers and security, end quote, while they were engaged in protected labor activities. The second charge moving forward relates to alleged threats that Activision Blizzard threatened to cut off access to certain internal communication channels, quote, because employees are discussing wages, hours, and working conditions, which, by the way, is legal, at least in California. 
It's legal. You can tell people how much you make if you want to. You're not required to, but you can tell people how much you make. And when you do that, that makes other people who are in similar positions as whatever you're working as uh, understand if they're really being properly paid the right amount and this sort of thing. And so that's why big companies hate having people talk about how much they're paid. And they try very hard to scare people away from talking about how much they're paid. So that's the second charge there. Continuing with IGN. Meanwhile, the dismissed charge is related to an all-hands meeting, quote, where employees were discussing wages, hours, and working condition, end quote, with the CWA alleging that Blizzard violated Section 7 rights protecting employee organizing efforts by cutting off access. The news was shared with employees today in a Slack message from Activision Blizzard Chief Administrative Officer Brian Bulatow, where he claims that chat for future all-hands meetings was disabled following feedback that the chat in one particular meeting, quote, was particularly disruptive after some employees used the chat to disparage the work of the Diablo Immortal team and others. I'd love to see that there's actual proof of that. I'm not sure if that's just a, gee, we're really getting in big trouble here legally. Let's let's just push this off on the Diablo Immortal thing that may or may not have happened. That's that's how I see it. Anybody remember Greg Street? I think he used to work for Blizzard. And uh, he recently, like on April 5th, posted a thread on Twitter. He wrote, news, exclamation point, I am starting a new journey in more ways than one. As I have shared with you all before, last year was a pretty brutal one for me personally. After 15 years in California, I am moving back to Texas to be closer to my surviving family. This may sound like I am retiring from the game industry, but far from it. He continues with, These past few years made me think a lot about my future and what I want to accomplish. They've made me think of the kinds of games I wanted to make as the defining milestones of my career. I want to make games I am truly passionate about and that players will love. They've also, uh, let's see, made me think of the effectiveness of remote work and how it can help me stay closer to my family. And then he goes on with, that is why I'm excited to announce that I am starting my own remote studio, exclamation point. Our goal is to move fast and to go big. Fortunately, I have found a great strategic partner aligned with this vision and we are moving forward. And yes, it will be an MMO or something very MMO-like and kind of goes on from there a little bit. So that's what he's up to now. Video Games Chronicle has an article titled Activision Blizzard Sued by U.S. Justice Department for Suppressing Esport Wages. This is not a good time to have all of these things happen at once, but this is what's going on this week with Activision Blizzard, apparently. Um, There's an update in here. This is written by Tom Ivan for Video Game News. The update says settlement reached in the dispute over Call of Duty and Overwatch League salaries. In a civil lawsuit filed on Monday, the Justice Department claimed rules imposed by Activision Blizzard have limited competition for players in its Overwatch and Call of Duty professional esports leagues and suppressed player wages. The complaint, which was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, accuses Activision and the independently owned teams in its esports leagues of implementing a, quote, competitive balance tax, end quote, designed to penalize teams if player compensation exceed a threshold set by the game maker. And then there's an update in here. It says the Justice Department has reportedly agreed to a settlement with Activision Blizzard. A spokesperson for the game's publisher provided VGC, Video Games Chronicle, with the following statement, Quote, 
Activision Blizzard Esports is committed to being a leader in the esports industry and creating opportunities for players to earn fair pay and benefits. When we launched the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues, we wanted to create viable career opportunities for the players, requiring minimum salaries and mandatory benefits as part of player contracts. As a league, we also wanted our products to be competitive, so we carefully designed and implemented the competitive balance tax. Quote, we have always believed and still believe that the competitive balance tax was lawful and did not have an adverse impact on player salaries. The tax was never levied, and the leagues voluntarily dropped it from our rules in 2021. We remain committed to a player ecosystem with fair pay and health care and continue to have the least restrictive player mobility compensation system across all the major sports leagues. So there's that. And here's a quote from the Justice Department. Video games and esports are among the most popular and fastest growing form of entertainment in the world today, and professional esports players, like all workers, deserve the benefits of competition for their services. Activision's conduct prevented that from happening, said Jonathan Cantor, Assistant Attorney General of the Justice Department's Antitrust Division. Today's lawsuit makes clear that the Antitrust Division remains committed to protecting workers across all types of industries from anti-competitive conduct. The antitrust division also filed a proposed consent decree related to its concerns. Pending court approval, it would forbid Activision from imposing rules that would limit player compensation or that would penalize teams for paying players above a certain amount in wages. Then we have Sony. Uh, you know, Sony, PlayStation, that whole thing. This is from Kotaku, written by Ethan Gatch from uh, yesterday, it seems. And this one's titled, Sony lashes out at government for not shutting down Microsoft Activision deal. The PlayStation maker calls UK regulators reversal, quote, irrational. And they have a screenshot from a Sony game. I think it's God of War. And it's got this guy with the paint on his face and the armor and yelling at something um, off screen. But that's that's the rage they're putting in because of Sony here. So here's the article. While not set in stone, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, now appears likely to approve Microsoft's $69 billion purchase of Activision Blizzard. And Sony seems pissed. In its latest regulatory filing, it blasted UK regulators over their, quote, surprising unprecedented and irrational, end quote, reversal after initially pushing back against the mega acquisition. CMA approval is one of the last major obstacles facing the unprecedented deal to merge Xbox and Call of Duty, and Sony hasn't been letting that happen quietly. The PS5 manufacturer's latest tantrum happened on Tuesday via Tom Warren at The Verge with a new filing that criticizes UK regulators for essentially accepting Microsoft math when it comes to forecasting how many users Sony might lose if Call of Duty became an Xbox exclusive. In February, the CMA, quote, provisionally concluded, end quote, that Microsoft would have a financial incentive to pull Call of Duty from PlayStation consoles and suggested that the tech giant would have to leave the entire franchise out of the merger to get it approved. A month later, the CMA changed its tune and after receiving more data and input from Microsoft, announced a new provisional finding that basically said the opposite, with the CMA set to issue its final decision before the end of April 
Sony has responded with a detailed list of all the ways it thinks the regulators messed up. At the risk of getting very deep in the weeds for a moment, the controversy centers around how the impact of big blockbuster exclusives is measured. Microsoft claims that any players who switch to Xbox to play Call of Duty would not make up for the total loss of all Call of Duty spending on PlayStation, thus incentivizing it to keep the series on Sony's consoles, in addition to promises it won't make the series exclusive anyway. Sony argues that the players who switch consoles to keep playing Call of Duty are precisely the diehard fans who spend the most money on new releases and in-game microtransactions, suggesting that Microsoft might eventually pull the colossal franchise exclusively into its own console ecosystem after all. Personally, I think Sony is paranoid. That's what I think, okay? So here's a little bit more. Uh, quote, the CMA's reversal of its position on its console's theory of harm is surprising, unprecedented, and irrational, Sony wrote. It continued, the provisional findings, PFs, assigned uh, assessed a significant body of evidence in the round to support its finding that Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to withhold Activision content and that this would substantially lessen competition by foreclosing PlayStation. In assessing this body of evidence, the PFs emphasized, consistent with jurisprudence on the CMA's duty to assess evidence one, whatever evidence one is, that it is, quote, particularly important in this case to assess the merged entity's incentive to foreclose by considering all the available evidence in the round, end quote, rather than to focus on a single model. The PS5 maker also argued that the CMA discounts Microsoft's incentive to forego PlayStation players in order to boost the value of its rival subscription library, Game Pass and said that even subtle differences in the quality of the game on different platforms can have a huge impact, citing tech comparisons like those by Digital Foundry. Quote, It is difficult to conceive of an industry where consumers are more attuned to quality and where quality affects purchasing decisions, Sony wrote. Call of Duty gamers are passionate, knowledgeable, and sophisticated. So that, that's from Kotaku. Uh, Video Games News also has another article here. Um, it's pretty similar. It might be, yeah, it's got different pictures in here, so it must be a different article, right? And this one was posted by Chris Scullion. It's titled, Sony Calls UK Regulators Reversed Stance on the Microsoft Activision Deal Surprising and Irrational. The CMA's reversal of its position on its console's theory of harm is surprising, unprecedented, and irrational. Sony's response reads, the PlayStation company argues that the CMA had, quote, assessed a significant body of evidence, end quote, to come to its initial conclusion where it had suggested there would be an issue with the acquisition. It adds that the CMA's new, quote, diametrically opposite approach is based almost exclusively on a single economic model on which it places, quote, significantly more weight, end quote, than other available evidence. Specifically, it claims that the CMA's new findings are based on a new lifetime value model, which shows how much an average player is worth to a company over time. It says the new model suggests Microsoft would see a, quote, significant financial loss, end quote, if it kept Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox. And and that therefore there was no incentive to keep it off PlayStation. However, Sony claims the new data the CMA was using was flawed, and that if the quote, errors, end quote, were to be corrected, that the gains Microsoft would get from players switching to Xbox would be, quote, three times as high as the lifetime value of an average PlayStation user. 
Sony also claims the CMA had previously calculated lifetime player value on typical Microsoft documents created, quote, in the ordinary course of business, end quote, which had been used to suggest there was a strong incentive to keep Call of Duty off PlayStation, and that for its new findings, it allegedly, quote, adopts, comma, without apparent explanation, end quote, Microsoft's own adjusted lifetime value estimates. The CMA's new conclusion, quote, wrongly downplays the significant strategic benefit fits to Microsoft adding Activision content to Game Pass. The CMA had now concluded that, quote, not a single user with less than 10 hours of gameplay or $100 spend on COD would switch, end quote, from PlayStation to Xbox, something it questions. Using Minecraft as an example of a game Microsoft kept multi-platform doesn't work because Minecraft is, quote, a single release game that is already in users' hands, end quote, and that it, quote, does not drive anything like the level of gameplay, engagement, or purchasing decisions as Call of Duty. It just, this is just Sony pitching a fit, basically, you know? Uh, IGN has an article, Xbox Activision deal, Sony calls, again, surprising, unprecedented, and irrational. Everyone seems to like that phrase in their titles on this, and, and I get it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It seems a little odd. And then we have uh, a quote from Sony. The provisional findings assessed... Oh, I just read this part, the Microsoft thing in there. Okay, Xbox has denied this concern just as consistently, again, reinforcing the point in its own response to the CMA. Quote, Microsoft has been clear since the announcement of the merger. It has no intention to withhold or degrade access to Call of Duty or any other Activision content on PlayStation, its statement said. Quote, such a strategy would be in direct contrast to the interest of gamers in the UK and around the world. Rather than limit choice or access, Microsoft intends to use the merger to bring more games to more people on more platforms and devices. IGN has another article. Blizzard lead reveals global release times for Diablo 4. And uh, it's from Mikey Barra. There's a Twitter in there. Let me just go ahead and grab that instead. Uh... Originally, he wrote, in case you missed it, pre-order the deluxe or... It's from March 26th. When was this exactly? Oh, the new one's on April 5th. Okay, so he wrote something on March 26th that appears to be invalidated and instead wrote this connecting to that one. Mike Kubara, who is the president of Blizzard Entertainment, says, Oops, I was wrong. Early access for deluxe and ultimate pre-orders in the U.S. is Thursday 6-1 at 4 p.m., 6-2 at 12 a.m. in Europe, 6-2 at 8 a.m. in Asia, regular launch 6-5 at 4 p.m., 6-6 at 12 a.m. Europe, and 6-6 8 a.m. in Asia. So there you go. <laughs> that's when it's going to launch. It's a lot of numbers and different time zones and stuff, and that's just how it rolls. I guess. Wowhead has uh, an interview posted two days ago, and it's titled Diablo 4 Group Interview Unveils New Information, Future of Diablo 3, Leaderboards, Seasons. And you've got a picture of Lilith in the middle with Joe Shelley, who's the game director for Diablo 4, on one side wearing a red hoodie with the Diablo 4 logo on it, and on the other side you have Diablo General Manager Rod Ferguson, who's wearing a black hoodie, um, and his red, uh, like red zippers and things like that and the Diablo logo on it. Um, so here's some key takeaways and I'll leave you to read the full article yourself. You can find it at ChatteredSoulStone.com or you can go right to Wowhead and check it out there if you want to, but everything will be in the show notes for 
you know, ease of use, basically. So here's the key takeaways. Here's a brief summary of the highlights from this interview. Leaderboards connected to competitive activities will be added post-launch. Additional clan features are planned post-launch. Most or more predictable season cadence is a goal for Diablo 4. Season journey includes, quote, power-based rewards and, quote, is not monetized. So that, to me, says they're not going to, say, put it into Xbox's, you know, Game Pass or whatever, right? Uh, more cosmetic types are coming after launch. Diablo 3 seasons will be repeated starting with season 30. Blizzard wants to, quote, reduce the overall scaling multipliers and damage numbers in combat in Diablo 4. Uses beyond salvaging uses. Uses beyond salvaging for normal and magic items are being explored. Server infrastructure being ready for launch has top priority. Diablo 4's UI, quote, will not dramatically change between beta and release, end quote. And combat in Diablo 4 is intentionally paced in between Diablo 2 and Diablo 3. So that's kind of the overall of it, and you can read the article later. Uh, the interview if you'd like to. PC Games has an article titled Diablo 4 is the quote best end quote of the series Blizzard says and here's why. Speaking to PC Games N in, a, in an exclusive interview, the Diablo 4 VP calls the fourth installment of the action RPG game series the quote best end quote of them all. Here's why. This is written by Laura Bergen. I'm trying to figure out who she talked to. Um, let's see. She also talked to, uh, Diablo general manager, Rod Ferguson and game director, Joe Shelley. And there's a video in here about the official release date. There's a quote in here, quote, Diablo four is a perfect place to start. Or if you've been out for a while, it's the perfect place to come back because it's all of the things you loved about the previous games with even more on top of that, says Ferguson. It's the strongest Diablo story. And so if you play Diablo games for the story, this is the best story by far. If you play for the combat, the sophistication around the evade system that's been added and the way that the, the potion system works, there's more thoughtfulness. When you're playing, it's not just 100% button mashing, but you can still do that to some degree. But it's also that ground world, he continues, at least in the beginning. It's not just a visual effects bonanza where you're blinded by purple. You're in the world and you can feel that and you can feel the characters. You care about the NPCs for some reason now. It's your struggle and that's what makes Diablo Diablo. I think this is the best Diablo of the Diablo games and if you're new, it's a great place to start. Uh, there is a video out there. I saw it on it's, you can get it on YouTube and it's called Diablo 4 Into the End Game and it has various people talking about the game. So that includes uh, game director Joseph Priapora, game director Joe Shelley, lead game producer Kaylee Calder, and game producer Ash Sweetring as they elaborate on different aspects of Diablo 4 in that video specifically. Um, there's going to be another developer update on April 20, and it's going to feature Riker. So I think that's going to get a lot of views because he's pretty well known in the Diablo community. So that should be fun to watch. I assume it's going to also be on YouTube uh, where you know people can find it later if they miss it the first time around. And in mid-April, Blizzard says it will publish a blog on our news site that details how we'll translate player feedback into improvements for Diablo 4. On April 20, 11 a.m. PDT, members of the Diablo 4 development team, accompanied by special guest host Riker, will return for the, new, the next Diablo 4 
developer update live stream where they'll further elaborate on our planned improvements. They'll also delve into the flames and share additional details about endgame systems. There is a humble bundle out there that I did not know about until Red October posted it in the Shattered Soulstone Discord. So I'm really glad he did that because I would have missed out on this entirely. And it is the Blizzard Entertainment Legends and Lore Book Bundle. There's 22 items in here. And some of these I already have, actually, a lot of the Diablo ones. There's, I'll just read you off some of the stuff. Uh, if we start with the Diablo books specifically, there's the Sin War trilogy. So that's, um, let's see, there's, there's three of them. It's, uh, they're not sitting here in any particular order, which makes it harder for me to read them to you as a title. But the, the three Sin War books are in there. So book, where's book one? There must be a book one in here somewhere thought I saw it. Maybe book one's not in there, but book two is, and book three is. Uh, Diablo the Order by Nate Kenyon, that's in there as well. These all appear to be paperbacks from what I can tell. Uh, there's Diablo the Kingdom of Shadow. There's Diablo Legacy of Blood. Diablo the Black Road. There's book one. Okay, so Birthright is the first one in the Sin War books, also written by Richard Knack. The second one in the series is Scales of the Serpent, and the third one is The Veiled Prophet. I have all of those, plus the other one written by Nate Kenyon, just from picking things up as I go, you know. Um, there's a lot of StarCraft stuff in here, and I don't know enough about that to really talk about it much, but there's quite a bit of that, including StarCraft Ghost Specters, that's written by Nate Kenyon as well. Uh, some of the StarCraft stuff is written by other authors, like Christy Golden. There is a World of Warcraft Pearl of Pandaria that looks to be like a little kid book sort of thing. Uh, there's a World of Warcraft Mage book written by Richard Knack, and there's a World of Warcraft Shadow Wing this is volume two of Shadow Wing. I'm not sure where the other one is exactly. Oh, there's a fir there's a first one. So it's first one is uh, the Dragons of Outland, and the second one is Nexus Point. If you're into uh, World of Warcraft stuff, and there's also Night of the Dragon by Richard Knack and Beyond the Dark Portal by Christy Golden. I do have a lot of these. Basically, these kinds of things are pay pay what you want. So you can get all 25 of the or 22 of these items for $25 or pay at least $18. If you have none of these, it's probably a really good value, you know, $18 and get all these books from these games that you've probably played before and probably love. Um, and this bundle so far has raised $6,698 for charity. So that's, you know, that's something you can do if you want to get them all. Um, or if you just want the Diablo ones, I mean, there's, there's a whole series of boxes here. Like if you pay $1, you get... Uh, two StarCraft books and a Warcraft book. If you pay $10, you get more than that. If you pay $35, you get everything. And there's, you know, things in between. Um, it's not something that I think I should spend money on because I have all these books already. And already they've already got, you know, this, this wonderful amount of money collected. So that's very cool. And it's just something to check out. And again, it'll be in the show notes. There's also, and this is weird, but it kind of fits in a weird, strange way. So IGN has this article titled PlayStation Files Patent for Controller That Turns Hot and Cold, much like PlayStation and, you know, <laughs> and Sony's attitude towards 
what these regulators are deciding, hot and cold. Um, so this is what it is. It's written by Anthony Wood. It's titled, Sony has registered a patent for a controller that could change temperature as a result of player actions and gameplay. The patent, which was reported on by something called Xpooter, uh, describes a number of conceptual controller features that would enrich, quote, haptic experiences with the help of a soft, quote, elastically deformed Formable sensor component. When placed, for example, on the front of a pad, the sensor would detect when the player de deforms the controller by pressing, twisting, rubbing, or crushing it. The patent also describes the inclusion of a temperature control apparatus that would allow it to make the accessory hotter or colder depending on player input and likely the gameplay situation. So there's a there's like a little haptic thing in a controller and it just looks like a typical controller. There's all these numbers here and one is figure three. It looks like an egg-shaped thing and then the other one looks like a standard controller for figure four. Quote, for example, the temperature control apparatus may be controlled such that the larger the amount of deformation, the higher the temperature becomes, read the patent. Quote, this allows the user to feel the temperature change corresponding to deformation. The document also describes the potential of using a combination of, quote, magnetic fluid, end quote, or, and electric or magnetic fields to change the shape and hardness of the soft parts of the theoretical controller. Needless to say, the controller capabilities referenced in the patent are a long way from making their way into a consumer product. However, if any of these ambitious features make their way into a future PlayStation pad, then they could, then, then they could something there's a word missing here uh give maybe give players a range of immersive new control options so that's kind of an interesting thing in there you know it's one of those things where you can have a patent on it and you can describe this is how it's going to work but that doesn't mean it's going to see the light of day not everything does and to close out the show there is an amazing painting of Lilith here and I believe it is from uh, Olivero Jimenez and so you've got Lilith standing up and she's got her, her arms raised and the wings out and there's like almost like a halo in the background and underneath where she's standing is that skull that she ho holds out in the Lilith statue and under that there's all these demons kind of like shying away from that skull for some reason and they're like they look like the fallen they really do with like the horns and the red color and all of that really really nicely done it's considered concept art by this artist and it's fantastic so you'll find that in the show notes with everything else and with that i'm going to close out the show you have been listening to episode 405 of the shattered soul stone your diablo community podcast missed an episode you can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com come join us in game our in-game community and clan both named shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.